Today, I'm going to start a, I don't know if it'll be a series, uh, a short teaching, maybe for maybe it'll last a little while, but it's going to be called How It's Done. And um, the greatest thing in life is doing God's will. So we're going to look at Jesus's life, how he did it. And uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, maybe, you know, you've been told a certain thing like, you know, that Jesus did everything that he did on the earth. He did it because he was God. If you approach the Bible that way, you can actually end up missing a whole bunch of stuff. Because though he was God when he was here on the earth, he did not function as God. He did not do anything on the earth as God. He was tempted. The Bible said God cannot be tempted. He got weary. The Bible said God is never weary. The Bible talks about different things that Jesus did, like God knows everything. Jesus didn't even know who touched him when that virtuous power went out of him to heal a woman. And he said, who touched me? And he looked around on the crowd to see who had done it. And so we can see by those scriptures and many others, matter of fact, it said he grew in knowledge. Well, God knows everything. So we can see from different scriptures, one in Philippians, the second chapter, it said he emptied himself of his heavenly privileges and he came and was tempted like us so that he could show us how to live and that once he went to heaven, he could represent us to the Father in a way that never before existed, meaning God never knew by coming how it is to be tempted and all these things. So God came in the flesh, Jesus, he was tempted. You with me? And uh, he went through all these different things. He was weary, he was hungry, all the things that God in heaven never would deal with. And so then he died for humanity and rose again from the dead. And so the Bible tells us, and the early disciples, and you know the ones that traveled with him, said that Jesus is our example how we ought to live this life. So if, if we are looking at Jesus and saying, he's our example, but he did it as God, we could all say, time out. I can't do that. I can't do that. Impossible. I can't do that. But when you start really looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you recognize real quick that uh, Jesus didn't function as God. But somebody said, but what all the, about all those miracles? Those miracles, Jesus said, should carry on. But what happens when we think, well, it's only Jesus who could do that or the early disciples, then we don't even trust that God can do a miracle today. And so we need to maybe reevaluate what the Bible has to say. And so we're going to begin here in John's Gospel, the fourth chapter. If you have a Bible there, you can turn to it. Or maybe if you have an app on a phone or something like that, and you're not watching this on your phone, uh, you can turn to John, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at one of the things or how it's done the way Jesus did it and some foundational things that Jesus did, or ways he held, you know, attitudes he kept. And so in John 4, verse 31, 
we're going to begin reading here. And it says this, And in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. They had come back to him. He, he was there uh, while they were in the city, and he came back, and he was, they thought, he's hungry because uh, he hadn't eaten. And verse 32 said, But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. They didn't know, but they had food. And he said, I've got food, but it's food that you don't even know about. Therefore, the disciples said in verse 33 uh, to one another, has anybody brought him anything to eat? So they're thinking, you know, does somebody else go to Subway and get him a sandwich? Or what's the deal here? Because we were the ones who were sent into town. We were the ones who went and got the food. And now we're bringing it back to somebody else and there's nobody else there. So thankfully, Jesus didn't stop. But he went on to talk. And he said this in verse 34, because if it was me, I might have thought, I'll play a prank on him. Thankfully, he didn't do that for our sake. It says in verse 34, and Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So it's interesting here that he said, my fulfillment in life, my meat, my spiritual sustenance is found and experienced in reality when I do God's will. Notice he didn't say, I automatically have it because I'm Jesus. He said, in doing the will of God, that is where I have a meat or a fulfillment where it's like food. How many people don't realize this very thing that if they don't follow God's will, which all humanity is designed for, obviously they need to come to know Jesus and receive Him. But then once you come to know Him, that doesn't mean you're eating of what is fulfilling. Because you can give your life to the Lord and then not eat this meat that is afforded to all by doing God's will. And so we're going to talk about this fundamental thing as a a Christian or a non-believer coming to know the will of God. And we know the will of God is that all people first would be saved and come to know the Lord, and then walk with Him. So there's an initial will that we need to spread to the whole world. Now, not everybody will do that will, even though it's God's will. That's an interesting thought right there. And then, we need to know this, once we've come to know the Lord, we should pursue to do His will, because there is a fulfillment there that is nowhere else. And Jesus said it like this, it, I'm filled, and it was a spiritual filling, by doing the will of God. And he said, doing it made me eat. Well, I don't know about you, after I eat, I'm fulfilled, or filled, 
you know, a shorter part of, you know, fulfilled, I'm filled. And uh, anybody who lives in God's will, you know, finds there's a fulfillment. Every person who gives their life to Jesus right off recognizes, man, there's something to this. But you've got to continue on doing His will or doing His purpose or you don't eat what you should be eating, which means you're not being filled or fulfilled. And so I want to talk about this. Even in Jesus' life, there were challenges that He faced along the way to stay in God's will. Now, if He was God... God, the Bible said, and he is God, but he didn't function as God, because the Bible said, in God there's no changing whatsoever. No shadow of turning with him. He is constant and consistent. And the Bible said this, God cannot be tempted with evil. Jesus was tempted with evil. So in other words, this is something that uh, was unique to Jesus. He came here to be a human anointed by the Spirit and then carry out God's will. But God's will was not automatic for him. And uh, though he entered into it, there were challenges along the way. And if there were challenges for him and they were told about, I'm so glad the Bible told us. Because otherwise, I would think, wow, Jesus, he just did it. He never was challenged in his walk. I mean, but if you really read the Bible, you recognize Jesus was challenged a lot. And, uh, but he showed us how to live, live in victory, and how to overcome. So in Luke, the second chapter, we're going to look at some challenges. And, and, and uh, I encourage you to follow along in the scriptures and look at these. Because these were real challenges that Jesus faced concerning the will of God. So turn to Luke's gospel in your Bible. Luke, the second chapter. And we are going to read uh, from the 41st verse on. 2.41. It says this, And his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Uh, And this is a Jewish holiday, or the children of Israel, you know, when Moses brought them out of Egypt, and there was a lamb that would be sacrificed. And so they would go up for this festival. And when he was 12, verse 42, up to the city of Jerusalem, 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And verse, uh, so he's a 12-year-old, 12, wonderful age, right? Verse 43, when they had finished the days as they returned, so you get this picture, they're up there for the whole Passover, and when the Passover finishes, they leave and they left in a caravan of friends, families, and others to go back. And it said, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. And it says, verse 44, but supposing him to have been in the company, in other words, with the whole group as they're traveling, they went a day's journey, and then they sought him 
among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to seek him. Now here's an interesting thought. They're going back looking for Jesus. I don't know about you, but if you, know, you like Joseph, had an angel appear and say, your wife is with child. She is a virgin. She'll conceive son of God. Going to be born. Angel appears to her. You found favor in the sight of God. You shall be with a child, you know. You're going to be carrying God's kid. They both know we're carrying God's kid. Even their relative comes over with John the Baptist in her womb. And when she sees Mary, the baby leaps inside and goes, you know, the, the Spirit of God came on. And from that time forward, when, you know, they saw each other and said, oh, blessed are you. You know, you've got the Son of God. God's in you. going to be born. Now he's 12 years old and they've lost him. Now, how do you go pray? Uh, God, we lost your kid. Um, we were traveling somehow, you know, uh-oh. And so they turn around and they head back. Verse 46 says, Now, so it was that when three days, uh, three days, three days. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're praying a bunch. Now, come on, God. Or you're like, I ain't even talking to God for the next three days till we find Jesus. But whatever it is, it says now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. I mean, he's a 12-year-old kid. And verse 48 says, So they saw him and were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? The family shows up and says, Why aren't you thinking about us? Look at your father and I have sought you anxiously. They were worried. And he said to them, Why did you not why did you seek me? You're our kid. We're responsible. But notice this. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? So we see here as a young child, Jesus was purposing to live out God's will and be about God's business. And his family, he had to deal with family. How many times have I seen and heard when people start serving God that family may be well-meaning? Say, why are you going to that church? Why are you spending time praying? Why? You know, they were bothered that you were living wild before. Now they're bothered you're religious or whatever they want to call it. And uh, why are you going there? And family can be a real challenge. Not always, but sometimes. The guy who led me to the Lord or to rededicate my life, uh, his wife had been praying because he had been addicted to drugs and 
just living wrong. And so she would pray at night, Lord, just save him, do something. And uh, he got, gave his life to the Lord. He got, you know, what people would say, on fire. So I'm working around him, and he tells me this path. And I remember, now we're both, I give my life to the Lord, and now we're both going. And his wife is freaking out. Now she hates me and doesn't like what he's doing. What she wanted was her husband to not do certain things, but not go all the way with the Lord. Just do stuff for her. And uh, she drew on him and pulled on him. And to stay strong, he had to purpose to follow the Lord. And well-meaning people uh, sometimes may say things that in, in family uh, that they may not realize uh, is a challenge to your faith. But if you'll stick with it, you know, you can believe God, trust God, and your family come in. Going backwards does not help. And Jesus knew, my purpose here on the earth is to do God's will. And he said, don't you know this? And so we need to recognize sometimes family. Not always, but there can be. And we can be kind to him and loving and pray and believe God. Here's another thing. Sometimes close friends or even people who are religious, and this is an interesting one, can try to pull you the wrong way when it comes to God's will. Jesus had this happen in Matthew 16. And uh, you would think that, uh, 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 so to speak, another church member or a Christian or you know another believer would definitely not lead or lead us astray. And I think sometimes people don't realize, you know, we don't have to go to church this week. We don't have to do this. We don't have to do that. We should just go do this. And I'm cool with people doing vacations, but we need to recognize, is this ultimately going to start drawing me away? And what is the motivation behind it? And here in Matthew 16, 21... Real fascinating. I mean, this is Jesus. Uh, verse 21, it says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and be raised from the dead on the third day. He was telling his disciples, This is how it is, guys. This is the plan of God. I've got to suffer for humanity. Then Peter, so what's he basically saying? I've got to do the will of God. Here's an interesting thing. As we read on here in a minute, we're going to see that Jesus was actually tempted in this area. And maybe, you know, the enemy or whatever was trying to work through Peter here. Then, and, and Jesus didn't, didn't fall for it, so to speak. He recognized. I wonder if people don't sometimes. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Who? Jesus he rebuked. Saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. I'm not going to let this go down. 
You can't do this. And he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Whoa, does that mean Peter was demon-possessed? No. But Peter had listened to a lie that was trying to push Jesus out of the will of God. Because what if Peter had got him to say, yeah, don't go that way, don't do this, don't suffer and die, I'm not going to let this happen. And Jesus said, okay, then what would have happened? We would all be dead in our trespasses and sins. Nobody could be saved. We would be lost. And so Jesus was determined to stay in the will of God. But it says, so he turned and said, get behind me, Satan. Now I'm not suggesting if somebody says something to you to try to push you a certain way, you know, uh, out of the will of God or maybe make you go, go a certain way to want you to do something like that. I'm not suggesting that you say, get behind me, Satan. But I do think it would be wise to recognize the source and don't cave in. And maybe under your breath say, I recognize where this is coming from. This is not going to help me in the will of God. And I'll tell you what, right now, there are probably a lot of people in the world who, during this quarantine time, have been making adjustments. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who haven't. And then there's some Christians that maybe didn't need to, but then there are other people out there who've known, uh, this has been good for me to make adjustments. You need to recognize the source of things that would pull you away from the will of God. And so Jesus did, and, and he was determined to stay on course. And so he said, get behind me, Satan. Notice, for you, and now he's talking to Peter, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You're looking at this natural. You're not looking at this from the standpoint of God's will. And one of the fundamental things about learning how it's done and how Jesus did life, one underlying thing was he kept the will of God priority all the time. And he faced family challenges. He faced friend challenges. He told all people in Mark 4 that you need to be careful because there will be challenges when uh, prosperity and good things come in your life that would try to sidetrack you. In the 18th verse, he said, now these are the cares, and he was talking about the will of God and the fruit that we should be bearing, doing the will of God and having the word of God produce in our life. He said to the disciples and to everybody, which he would be talking to himself too. Now these are the ones that are sown, these seeds of the word of God, they're sown. These ones are some, the, where the Word of God, when they hear it, and it said then, verse 19, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the Word, or you could say, uh, choke the will of God. And then it, you become unfruitful, and then the Word doesn't produce. So he basically said right here, you've got to be careful. God is not bothered by money, but when money becomes a priority, he, you could be a billionaire. You know, there are some people who say, you know, 
everybody should have the same amount of money and people shouldn't get ahead of other people. You'd have to tell God that because he, there was a man who put him first and uh, his name was Solomon. He said, he said, God said, what do you want? He said, I want wisdom to help rule the people and to do things wise and, and to help. And he said, because you didn't ask for money and all these other things, he said, I'm going to make you richer than everybody in the earth. God wasn't for equality of riches. God made him richer than everybody. But notice his priority was, I just want to serve you and I want wisdom. It sounds like what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God. Put him first, then all the things that the world will pursue, uh, they'll be added to you. The problem is when you put those kind of things first, you're not eating the meat that fulfills. It's kind of like having your universe out of order. You know, if the moon gets out of order, we're going we're to be in big trouble. Right? Waves all different kinds of things. When our universe, our individual universe, so to speak, gets out of order, there's upheaval. But it's not that God didn't want them to have good things. He just said they need to have their place. Jesus knew that. There's another scripture in Luke 21, and this one, to me, is super fascinating. Luke, the 20, well, I said, did I say 21? 22. I do have a couple people here who can answer me. But Luke 22, notice this, concerning the will of God and, and challenges that Jesus faced, challenges that we might face. And this one, to me, is pretty incredible. Luke 22, verse 41. And it says, And he withdrew from them about a stone throw. What happened was, this was before Jesus was going to die on the cross. This is why I said when Peter said, hey, I'm not going to let you do this, uh, Jesus was being tempted and tried to move out of the will of God and do. And, and it'll prove it right here. And, and so he said, you guys pray, I'm going to go here and pray. And it says he was a stone throw away and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. In other words, one of the gospels said, if there's another way to do this, let's do it that way. Then here it says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He, in prayer, here, was getting his will settled. He knew what God wanted, and he was saying, if there's another way, let's go that way, but nevertheless, I want your will. Well, he prayed this way, according to other writers, three times for like an hour. And he got, and then here when it said he finished this time, it said in verse 43, then an angel appeared to him from heaven and began to strengthen or was strengthening him. He made a choice and God backed that choice. And uh, what's interesting is 
he told Peter, one of the disciples, he said, you're going to enter into a temptation. And so I want you to pray. He said, the spirit indeed is willing. In other words, you want to deep down, but the flesh is weaker. In other words, you're going to have to deal with your will and your mind. So if you will take the time to pray, you can be strengthened and stay in the will of God. When what happened? Jesus got done, went back to Peter, and every time he went back, he's sound asleep. Snoring, sawing logs, whatever you want to call it. He's sound asleep. And Jesus knew that there was going to come a day where he was going to be challenged with the will of God and following him, and he was basically helping him and giving him a remedy. You know, anytime somebody struggles with the will of God, there are sometimes people know, I need to go do this, or I need to be in this place, I need to be there, and I'm not there, and, but they don't take time to set their will and, and pray so that when they get up from the time of prayer, that whatever assails them and comes against them, they're able to stand. They're able, and Jesus gave an example, and he followed God's will from day one all the way to the end, and it was not without challenge. And the fact is, he was trying to teach the disciples, you can do the same exact same thing. And he told them, here's what you got to do right now, Peter. And where Jesus continued on, he even told them, your spirit's willing he basically said, Peter, I know inside you want to do this. So he said, pray, spend time. Anytime you're struggling with the will of God, it's good to pray. It's good to be reminded, this is what God wants me to do. Because ultimately, you know, through every generation, we've always needed to do God's will. But in the day and age we live in, we could be real close to his return and there's no time to fool around or allow ourselves to be taken advantage of by circumstances and different things that would come. And so I'm going to go back here, if you will, to John 4. We read these verses at the beginning. John's Gospel, the fourth chapter, concerning God's will. There is just something about fulfilling God's will. In the Bible, you know, there's a scripture that talks about how at the end the, that what we should all endeavor to hear is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. What is a good and a faithful servant? One, they're a servant. They're willing to serve and serve the Lord, because he said, well done, good and faithful servant. So it's one who serves, but it's one who serves the Lord. It's not just that you're serving other people, but in that you would. But he said, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord and enter into these things, and there's reward. Well, I don't know about you, uh, but I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. If you say, well, I'm not too big on that, well, you're like Peter. Deep down you do. Deep down you do. And so we need to pray. 
And so, because that's what ultimately it's about. Man was made to fellowship with God, walk with God, do God's will. Anything outside of that, you don't eat the meat. Remember, John 4 says this in verse 31, or verse 32, But he said to them, I have food to eat of, which you do not know. And I'm so glad he clarified what it was. He said, therefore they said, well, where did he get this food? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him. To live fulfilled doing God's will and eating the meat or heavenly sustenance that we're supposed to is not without challenge. Know this, anybody who has gone any distance with God and continued on has faced challenges. Jesus, the disciples, and anybody around you. It, it may not be glamorous, but I'll tell you what, to face a challenge, but the Bible tells us to count it all joy. Why? Because when you face it and do it right, man, it's the best thing ever. We stay eternally our perspective, I guess, is kept correct on eternal things.